0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Tuesday evening. You can tell the seasons are changing. I mean seasons as in fall, winter, and so on, although partly I say that because the Wizards had a... um, media availability today, I I didn't go to it, I am just noting that it happened, and I know Georgetown's getting a little more active, and I know the Capitals are doing their thing, but none of it compares to the conversation that goes on every day about the Washington Commanders, and I had one of those conversations earlier with our pal, Al Galdi, from the Al Galdi podcast, at Al Galdi on Twitter, as we continue our home-and-home conversation, where we alternate weeks going on each other's podcast obviously we had to do a final uh what the hell was that uh chat about Sunday's debacle against Buffalo but we've also discussed what uh, a bunch of other interesting topics uh for sure so um we'll get to that in a moment here on the podcast which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify or anywhere you do your podcasting. I will have an article up in the morning on something that that Alan and I actually talked about a little bit here, and that is the, the subplot is the notion of trading Jacoby Bursett. not because Jacoby a bad guy or bad teammate, or they're going to get a, a, a king's ransom for him, none of that stuff. He's a, he's a valued member of the team, and I I highly doubt that Ron Rivera and his staff think the way that I think. But the larger point to this is that despite Sam Howell's rough outing the other day, he should be this team's quarterback for the rest of the season. Can't have another four interception day or, or you know, uh, truly hideous stuff. But he should be. And I explain why in the stories. So you can check that out on The Athletic. All right, so practice. The team is will be back on the field Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. You know, it is wild when you see so many injuries around the league. Um, and knock on wood, the Commanders have been pretty, you know, healthy. Uh, Logan Thomas, we'll see where he is at with a concussion that kept him out of Sunday's game. I, I think for me, again. This is one of these deals where I'm pretty sure I'm not in lockstep with the organization. But look, if Logan Thomas is back out of the practice field tomorrow and ready to go, okay. But if there's any doubt that he is gonna play this week, and frankly for me, I don't even know if it would matter that much. I I, I wanna I wanna see that the commanders are checking out some other tight ends out there to add to the roster. Curtis Hodges, I believe, has been inactive all three games, and you know he was the surprise player um, to make the 53-man roster based on what we saw this this summer. I get the intrigue, huge, huge player, athletic, but just doesn't seem like he's ready to go now. Uh, You know, it's easy to say, hey, you know, throw him on IR, Um, now all that jazz. So that would have been interesting. Uh, you know, so that's a move. Be the interesting move. Could you bring in somebody? Because my fear is, you know, can you really count on Logan Thomas to stay healthy? They only used Cole Turner and John Bates this last game. Uh, roughly, they played about the same amount of snaps. They had Alex Arma up off the practice squad, um, but he didn't play on offense, which is fine. And clearly, I think we all overstated what was going on there um back this summer and that's you know probably a little bit of a shame on us because there was no real reason to think he was a bigger contributor except for the w- would be a bigger contributor other than the fact that again i don't think any of us thought hodges would make the team nothing what i'm saying right now is completely relevant to the big picture situation i'm just thinking about the roster and the fact that logan thomas is uh, hopefully back this week from that concussion um I think Brian Robinson is somebody I I want to think more about this week cuz I really do feel like he is this uh, sort of pivot point between the Eric Bieniemy pass heavy offense and the Ron Rivera sort of run first approach that we've seen the last couple of years. And I'm not even si- saying one or the other, and obviously passing is more, you know, efficient and uh, bigger plays come out of it, and it's the wave of the uh, of the league and all those kinds of things. But, you know, and Al and I talk about this, you know, to the degree that Washington's been a bit pass-heavy, Rod Rivera the other day suggested that this is something they're doing on purpose as a way to sort of help Sam Howe sort of, you know, find his way in the league, you know, kind of try to maybe speed up his growth by throwing, by literally throwing him in, to throwing a lot of passes. Um, but Brian Robinson has been Washington's, I think, most effective offensive player so far this season. We know that he only had 10 carries, but yet averaged seven yards a carry against Buffalo. And I should have said this before, but Grant Paulson and I broke down that game. So if you missed it, make sure to check that out as well. I just think Robinson is so interesting. And then you factor in that Antonio Gibson has now fumbled twice in three games on top of his prior struggles. Uh, maintaining possession. Chris Rodriguez, not really uh, a realistic option, it wouldn't appear. Uh, I think Curtis Samuel could get more snaps in the backfield, but Robinson is clearly the lead, and I wonder, you know, based on that, and again, factoring in the entire offense with Sam Howell, does it make more sense to try to lean into the Robinson running uh, a bit more? Here's the problem this week, of course. The Eagles have a ridiculously good defensive front with rookie Jalen Carter. Uh, you know, every game, every game, time the Eagles play, Twitter lights up with some Jalen Carter highlights. And, you know, how is Washington going to stop uh, that Eagles front? This may not be the week to run the ball, but at the same point, you know, I I, I just think that Brian Robinson has been the most effective Piece. They've got to figure out ways to get the receivers more involved, more open, whether that's play calling um, or not. I, I think it's, it's going to be a really interesting week to see how the commanders come out. I just don't think you can – you can't be conservative against the Eagles, but simultaneously, um, you know, I, I just think throwing Sam Howell out there at this point and having him, um, you know, take the pounding he's taken, in part because he's holding under the ball too much, as we've all discussed, I just think adding some more uh, work for the run game, particularly early, could benefit everybody, especially since Brian Robinson has been playing at a very high level. Um, I hope to have uh, another podcast up this week. In fact, I believe I will, looking ahead to Sunday's matchup against the Eagles. But for now, let's talk to the conversation I know that I've got in the bag, and that is with my guy Al Galdi. Looking back a little bit, you don't have to close your eyes, looking back a little bit at week three's loss uh, to Buffalo and looking ahead to where this team goes from here. Let's do that right now here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. All right. Uh, as we continue our home and home podcast series, my guy Al Gauley from the Al Galdi podcast at Al Galdi on Twitter joins me here and he's had, uh, I don't know, 48 hours or so to recover, assess, contemplate life's existence since Washington's debacle against the Bills. We're not going to spend too much time necessarily on what happened in that game, but give it where you're at, 48 hours away. Have you been able to flush this game away, or is it still weighing on your mind?
1: Well, it's like Sam told us all during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon. The sun will come out tomorrow. And the sun did come out tomorrow. So, you know, I do feel better. I mean, Ron kept hammering home this point with you guys on Monday afternoon. And it is true. Two and one. You know, like I I think most Commanders fans and I am a Commanders fan would have signed up for two and one. And, you know, even if the team doesn't win at Philadelphia this Sunday afternoon, and I do think that it could. Uh, you got the the game against the Chicago Bears on Thursday night football after that. So three and two is doable slash realistic, uh, maybe even likely, you know. So I, I think the bigger picture of this season is still very much in play. But there's no doubt. I mean, Sunday afternoon was really disappointing. You know, the, uh, the humor, the uh, sad irony, the whatever you want to call it of Second time in three seasons, Week Three game against Buffalo is hyped by Ron as a measuring stick game, and uh, the measurement falls woefully short. You know, it's just disappointing. Like, I-, I think you could live with a competitive loss. That game really wasn't competitive, and that's the problem. But it was one game. We know how the NFL is. I mean, Dallas lost to Arizona on Sunday, so uh, you can't get too sucked into any singular result. Yeah, the
0: the, the Dallas Arizona part is definitely true um you can still hear me right yeah okay uh i was having technical issues before all right so yeah no that that's definitely true i guess it's just you know losing to buffalo is one thing if you know it was 16 to nothing still at the start of the fourth quarter until the gibson fumble and then buffalo capitalized with a touchdown if the gamer finishes at 16 nothing let's just say we're like all right Sam Howell needs to you know he's not up to re- he's not ready yet for a team like Buffalo, which would be absolutely no uh, knock on him, uh, you know, as essentially a rookie, um, and the defense, you know, hey, held in there, sixteen points against Josh Allen, not too bad. But Buffalo tacked on twenty-one more points for a variety of in a variety of ways to go up thirty-seven to nothing. And the fact that How threw four picks, had it was sacked nine times, the defense didn't record a sack, etc. Has everybody, you know, at least I should say everybody. I had, you know, had me at least a little more questioning the two and start uh, above anything else. But okay, you're right. It is just one game. You move on. Up next, another extreme battle against Philadelphia. Um, If we're gonna say though that it's 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 panicking is is too much. Is there anything though that you would like to see change? Because obviously, you can't just run back the same situation exactly. And I'm not, whether that's game planning or personnel, is there something, though, that you'd like to see change based off what we just saw?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think clearly a better job needs to be done regarding the sacks and I don't think it's all on Sam Howell. I think it primarily is on Sam and you know I think in a lot of ways you just got to kind of white knuckle this and hope that as the season goes on he gets better at avoiding sacks but I do think that there are things that schematically Eric Bieniemy could do better. I mean, I thought that Eric called a great game in the win at Denver. I did not think that he called a great game in this game against Buffalo. I mean, I think, you know, you look at the results and that will tell you that. Uh, But when your offense is as bad as the commander's offense was on Sunday, right? I mean, you know, no touchdowns, just one third down conversion. You give up nine sacks. That's a collective failure. Like, that's not just on your quarterback. There are things you as an OC can do to scheme out of pressure. And Eric Bannemi is not a dummy. Like, he's a smart guy. I'm sure he had reasons for doing the things that he did, but the the things that he did did not work, you know? And we used to hammer Scott Turner, especially last season when there were some of those big sack games. I mean, I think back to last season's early season game against the Eagles, nine sacks taken by Carson Wentz, and Scott got blasted for that. And, you know, I think fair is fair. Like, if we're going to kill Scott for something like that, then I think Eric deserves criticism for what happened on Sunday. So, you know, I don't know if the answer is more moving pockets. I it, it certainly seemed like we did not see much in the way of screens on Sunday off like for an entire week, everyone raving about the revitalized screen game. Whatever the case, I, I think the enemy has got to do a better job of trying to scheme the team's way out of giving up all of these sacks. It starts with Sam, but I don't know how realistic it is that in week four, he's all of a sudden going to become Tom Brady at avoiding sacks. Like, I think this is going to be a process throughout this season. And so what can you as an offensive coordinator do to help Sam in this regard? And uh, I think that's going to be fascinating because obviously you're facing a team with an excellent defensive front in the Eagles.
0: You know, I, I would l- love to ask a NFL quarterback, current or former, if they watch the film to tell me, is Eric the Enemy calling a play, is, is his plan for a quarterback who just completed his fourth career start, or is the plan he's using the one he would use for any quarterback um, thrown in there? And, and you know, the, one of the going back all the way back to Beanie's hire, uh, this is not a not this is not about Beanie's lack of head coaching opportunities or whatever. This is just he's coming in here with the potential for, for instance, a one and done season should the, the whole coaching staff get blown out. And is he going to, you know, how is he going to handle this? You know, I can imagine if, if you're a the enemy, I'm not looking to dial back my, my plan, which may be my only shot to, to, to do the whole, you know, to, to call everything just because I've got this kid, even though from the perspective of Washington, that may be the case. So I'm not knocking, I'm not, again, I'm not dinging the enemy for that, but it does feel to your point that like the planning, especially like coming out with a lot of passing, in the first half. I mean, maybe they had to throw more in the second half against Buffalo because they were you know, trailing, although we'll both know that Brian Robinson averaged seven yards a carry but only got 10 carries. Um, but it feels like they're just throwing out a game plan for a quarterback who has more experience uh, than than what the, they actually have, and I do wonder if that's something to potentially change, um, especially if we go up against the Eagles defense this week that's going to be pretty ferocious up front.
1: Yeah, I mean, you wonder if the pass-heavy approach of Eric Bieniemy is about to run into a roadblock that is the formula that was endorsed so heavily by Ron Rivera last season and even in his first press conference of this offseason in terms of that joint presser with Martin Mayhew back in January. But, you know, I thought it was really interesting the way that Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon talked with you guys about Sam Howell. And I talked about this uh, on the installment of my podcast that came out on Tuesday. I thought that Ron on Monday really opened up about this season being about developing Sam Howell in a way that Ron had not done previously. And I thought he put a lot of the cards out there and basically was like, hey, we're trying to develop Sam. The idea here is that we think that Sam can get to a certain level. And the sooner he gets to that level, the better. He said that one of the reasons the team is being so pass heavy, especially in these first halves is to try to develop Sam. Like he, he almost called this a developmental season as opposed to like the team trying to win now, which I thought was interesting. And I actually think that there's merit to that approach because if you do believe in Sam and you think that he can be a really good NFL quarterback, then maybe you can expedite and expand the development by being pass heavy early in the season. And while that may cost you in the short term, Maybe that's the kind of thing that does pay off come October, November, December. I just thought that Ron putting that out there uh, was interesting, and I, I think it does perhaps shed some light on why the team uh, has been so pass heavy and has been having Sam throw uh, so many passes again, especially in first halves of games. Second half play calling is impacted, as we know, by score and situation. But the ratio of run plays, the ratio of pass plays to run plays for this team over the first three first halves of games this regular season has been jarring and I like it, but it's a big departure from what we had uh, seen from Ron Rivera over his first three seasons as Washington head coach.
0: Right. And to your point, like, that's the thing. If this was a scenario where the primary focus is developing Sam, how then, you know, developmental year, all that stuff, that's all great. But we know that isn't solely the story here, that there is new ownership that we don't know exactly what their plans are, but it feels like, you got to win, or else, if you're Ron Rivera and his staff, and that's why the decision back in January to go with Hal felt sort of odd because it was going up. It goes against sort of the notion of having to win immediately. Uh, th- this brings me to a point. Out, I'm think I'm going to write about this um, a little bit as an idea. I think, like, let's let's just lean into what you just said. That Ron Rivera said this might even be a, a flat developmental developmental season, or at the minimum, he's acknowledging. That somehow they got to figure out how to help him, you know, uh, progress, move forward, uh, even if that means taking, you know, doing some uh, play calling or designs that they wouldn't do later on in the year. I think this is why, and I'm glad you're sitting down, I think this is why they should call up the New York Jets and say, What are you going to give us for Jacoby Brissett? And I say this because. This is not a knock on Jacoby Brissett. It is to say that the reason you signed him to that deal, that hedge is already over. The, the, the quarterback competition this off summer was Sam Howe versus Sam Howe. Could he hold up to the pressure of being projected as the guy? And I think it's fair to say he did that and a little bit more, certainly based on what we saw in preseason, as well as what we saw in the first two games of the year. This last game was awful, but... These are the extremes that come with a young quarterback, and I think you got to get rid of that. I think getting rid of the the um, head of Brissette would be a good thing, short term and long term. If I don't know what asset they would get back, but any asset would be helpful for the future. And they need to get out of the middle of the NFL. They've been, you know, the, the last uh, seven years. I think they've won seven or eight games six times they've got to either go all in and and how is is the guy or he craters and they get a top 10 pick and percent's just going to put you right back in that middle. So to me, I think we've seen enough from how to say he can do this and you know, you can always, of course, go out and sign some Nick Foles type to back him up if need be. But, I, I, I know this This again this is not an extreme view after a week three this is a big picture view that I say they lean into Hal and don't and, and, and avoid you know it's like you're a, you're a baseball guy it's like Billy Bean in Moneyball saying look we want to do something we want to do a certain thing here but alright how you're going to keep playing these guys I don't want in there I'm going to have to get rid of them in order for you to have to use what I want so they're already using Hal, but to avoid the future conversations after they possibly lose the Philly or whatever, I say, move on, see, call the jets and see what you can get for Brissett. What, what, where, uh, how many meds do I need to take after hearing that? Do you think? No,
1: I I think that makes sense. I mean, I said when the Aaron Rodgers injury first happened, I would trade Brissett to the jets. Certainly if you had a team uh, that was desperate in the jets, that was perhaps willing to overpay for Brissett. Now, the fact that the jets have not made a move at quarterback does make me wonder like what, or the Jets thinking internally, and obviously the way you get the Jets to overpay for Brissette is the Jets really wanting Brissette. Well, if the Jets really wanted Brissette, wouldn't they have already made that pursuit? Now maybe they wanted to see what would happen with Zach Wilson, and now perhaps might pivot to going after Brissette. But hundred percent, I mean, Jacoby Brissette's here on a one-year contract, so rather than lose him for nothing this off-season potentially, if you could get back. Uh, a day three, to say nothing of a day two pick, I think 100% you'd do that. You know, putting aside all the Sam Howell stuff, just from an organizational, you know, team building standpoint, like that's good process, right? You take a veteran quarterback who's a backup on a one-year deal and you turn him into a, you know, I don't know, a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick. I mean, to say nothing of potentially like a third round pick, if the Jets are really desperate. 100%. I would say this. I mean, I think, Ron and the team have to have the internal discipline to not, at the first sign of trouble, yank the plug on Sam and go to Jacoby. And if Ron and the team do not have that internal discipline, then I think we have a bigger problem here. Uh, one of the things I did like, though, about the Ron comments on Monday was that he seemed to be conveying, no, we're with Sam. I mean, he at one point said, we're riding with Sam. And, you know, he he kind of left open the possibility of, yeah, I mean, I guess at some point that could change. Uh, But it seemed like there is a commitment to sticking with Sam Howell. And, you know, I've always wondered if the season wasn't going well and Ron wanted to bench Sam in favor of Jacoby and put the team right back on that path to Middleville, which we all know is the last place you want to be. I've always wondered if that might be the point at which Josh Harris would would end this and just fire Ron and say, we're not doing that, okay? Like, it's Sam or it's nothing. Like, if, if there's any owner who's going to get the idea of not wanting to be in the middle, you would think it is our new managing partner, right? The guy who uh, greenlit the process with the 76ers, like Josh Harris gets that. So I would be surprised if Josh Harris would uh, A, be in favor of going to Jacoby at any point other than say injury to Sam and B, would, would allow for it. Like if it really came down to owner and coach being in conflict, I would think that that could be the end of the coach. And, you know, I'm not endorsing the owner all of a sudden meddling in football operations. But in that predicament, I think what would be best for the organization would be, no, we're not doing this. We're not putting Jacoby Brissett in to pick up a few meaningless wins that don't get us into the postseason, uh, but do lessen our draft position. I think that's always been one of the fascinating dynamics about this season. The, in theory, uh, conflicting interests of Ron Rivera trying to keep his job and the team doing what's in the best interest of it in the long haul in developing Sam. But, you know, I've thought about this too. Maybe Ron keeping his job isn't about wins and losses this season. Could it be that him keeping his job is more about developing Sam? And if Sam Howell shows improvement as the year goes on, Could it be that that keeps Ron's job and that it's not as much about making the playoffs or getting to nine or ten wins as as people have thought? You know, I I don't know. I I don't know that it's as simple as, you know, reaching a certain level of wins this season. I I think there could be a lot more to Ron keeping his job than that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. Like, ultimately, like, we've sort of joked about how Josh Harris has got a lot of analytics background and Rivera is not typically known for that. But this would be an example where... Maybe it's not analytics, but it's philosophical planning and, and, and going in that direction. And Yeah, I mean, like I said, I just think that, you know, this is why I'm with you. Of course, nobody wants the owner to be a meddler. We, that was a big part of obviously wanting to move on from Dan Snyder, but – uh, you know, at, at the same point, like somebody has to be looking out for the big picture of the organization. And when the head coach also has final say in personnel, there may not be anybody doing that, which is why typically you don't want to have one person having both of those uh, jobs. So I do think that's something to uh, consider. Um, and look, I mean, if, if it, you know, you can't have it's one thing to lose. You can't have what what happened on Sunday happen again, certainly not more than twice you know i i mean you can't they, they, they can't look at the other guys the players in the face and say yeah we're good with sam when if he keeps doing that but they all said publicly and privately they believe in this kid and after months of this then they should you know then then topic we we've just dis- i think collectively we've discussed where are all the jahan dodson Uh, touches in production and just in general, like even with Terry, other than the one catch he had uh, for the touchdown against Denver, it's been a relatively quiet uh, start. 13 catches, you know, Keenan Allen for the Chargers had like 18 last game, which is I know extreme, but it's to the point of saying um, you know, they're not, 13 catches through three games is not a huge number and he's averaging less than 10 yards a carry. Um, Here's my wonder. How can we not talk about Curtis Samuel in this way, in the sense of like finding ways to get him the ball more? His thirty-seven yard catch last week was the top, is their longest catch of the year. He, according to a Next Gen stats, his he leads the NFL in uh, NFL receivers in separation, meaning the distance between himself and the defender when the ball is there, either for a catch or an incompletion. Whereas it feels like McLaurin and Dotson, I don't know to the extreme, but it feels like they're having a much harder time getting open. Um, I don't you can attack this in any way about the McLaurin, Dotson, or Samuel thing, but I just feel like we don't talk about Samuel enough. He's got the second highest cap hit on the team, and yet he's sort of an afterthought at this point.
1: Yeah, uh it's true. And I, I actually would like to see Samuel used a little more as a runner. I thought that was one of the really good things that Scott Turner did with Curtis last season and he was effective in that regard. It's funny, I mean, I think going into last season Curtis Samuel was viewed as the WR2 on this team, right? And I think clearly going into this season, it was McLaurin 1, Dotson 2, Samuel 3. I mean, I think that hierarchy is how a lot of people view this. And I think it gets talked about that uh, in that way. I mean, no receiver has put up big numbers. Remember, we had that weird thing with the win at the Broncos in which uh, Washington set a record for the regular season in terms of having nine different players each with at least two catches. So it's like, nobody really had a big game, but like a lot of guys ended up having receptions in that game. And you know, I I've never been a big believer in like, that's something to be celebrated. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but I I don't think that's the aim is to like spread the ball around. Like why? Like, you know, this isn't, you know, we're not talking about equity in terms of receptions here. Like this is about, you want to get your best players, the ball as often as possible. And Uh, This has been an issue for a while, certainly with Terry, and a lot of it has had to do with the quarterback problem. So, you know, I I mean, I think we need more of a sample than three games, yes, but when you have a wretched offensive game like we had this past Sunday, ain't nobody getting uh, big-time touches, and we did see that. It, It is, though, maddening. I mean, you brought up the Keenan Allen thing. We see this with so many other good receivers. They put up these gaudy numbers in terms of receptions, in terms of targets, and it feels like it is a constant struggle to have that with Terry McLaurin and I don't think that that's an indictment of Terry like you know we can quibble with like where he ranks among NFL receivers but like would anyone dispute that he's a top say 15 receiver in the NFL top 20 at worst I mean I think there's a really compelling argument for top 10 but uh that he never comes close it feels like to having those kind of gaudy numbers uh is a real frustration like even his best games his targets it feels like are are never beyond like I don't know, 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, like that, that 18 target game, you never see that with Terry. And I just, I would love to see that once with him.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I have Justin Jefferson on my fantasy team. And part of the reason why, you know, I use the number one overall pick in my fantasy draft on him. I know this isn't stupid talk of fantasy is I know he's getting the ball, yeah. like I know the ball is coming his way on top of the fact that he's really good. And, and yeah, right. With McLaurin and now with Dotson, it has not been that way. Um, and by the way, to your point of Samuel as a runner, I completely agree. You know, his two best seasons, the 2020 season with Carolina, he had 77 catches, but also 41 carries, got over a thousand yards from scrimmage last year, probably his second best season, 843 yards from scrimmage, 64 catches, 38 rushes. He has two carries in three games so far this year. And on top of the fact that, you know, we'll be, it'll be interesting to see what, how much trust they have in Antonio Gibson now that he's fumbled twice in three games on top of his, you know, prior struggles, keep holding the ball. I know there's no more J.D. McKissick. There is a Curtis Samuel, a former running back that they use at times in the backfield, and you don't have to use him as a true running back. We see the Cardinals with Rondell Moore. They did it against Washington. He's a receiver, similar style to Samuel, that does creative things out of the backfield. So I think there's ways to use him, and you know this is also a way to help. I just think free up the whole offense. Uh, if, by the way, I'm not saying automatically bench Gibson or anything, but clearly you gotta wonder where they're at, and you have a guy right there in Samuel who can do a lot of those things out of the backfield. So why not lean in to um, to him? Um, before I let you go, Philadelphia is uh, is bad here. They won last night on Monday Night Football to to improve to three and zero. I think their 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 passing game has not exactly been lighting it up but the offensive line is fantastic the defensive front is frightening especially with jalen carter the rookie defensive tackle from georgia who was viewed as the best player in the draft and fell to the eagles at nine for some off the field matters he is looking ferocious and we know that washington's offensive line is not uh the hogs <laughs> so what, what's your uh what's your feeling going into this one
1: Well, you know, you have two very different ways of looking at this game. If you just apply pure logic and you go off what we just saw, you know, you are shaking in your boots if you're a Commanders fan about what could happen on Sunday. But if you've been following Washington for any length of time, you know that this is like the exact spot in which our team usually rises to the occasion. And it's when you expect the least that you so often get the most. And so, I do not think it would be stunning if the Commanders pulled off this win. Now, I think it's going to be a really tall task. Uh, you know, we saw Washington win at Philly last season on Monday Night Football. So I, I think any idea of, like, the Eagles, you know, taking the Commanders lightly or anything like that, I mean, first of all, I think that stuff gets overblown. But I, I do not think that you're going to have that come this Sunday. Like you said, the, the Eagles 3-0, and but ne- haven't necessarily played great in every game. Like, there's another level that the Eagles can get to. So this is going to be tough. It's hard to think that the offense could be as bad in this game as it was in the previous game. I think this is a big-time pressure game, of course, for Sam Howell. He's got to play better. He's got to play smarter. I mean, s- some of those picks. That pick six, th- th- that was almost like, what, like, are, are, are you, you know, are, are, do you understand this is a real game here? Like, you know, that was crazy to me that he did that. So he's got to be better. I think he will. But I think this is an Eric B. enemy game. Like, the onus is on him to come up with a plan and, that mitigates the allowing of sacks and that emphasizes what this offense can do well and if Eric Bienemy is the offensive mind who we all hope that he is and I think a lot of us think that he is he will do a good job in coming up with something that at least that at least makes this commander's offense viable in the game you know it's one thing to lose but you know when you lose and you offensively are completely inept as the commanders were last sunday Like I said, that's a bad look on everybody. That's not just on Sam Howell. That's on everybody. Got to do a better job. Got to come up with a better plan. So I'm anxious to see what the offense approach is uh, on Sunday. And look, I think most people have budgeted this game as a loss. Like I said, I think most people look at this as you lose at the Eagles and then you beat the Bears on Thursday night. Three and two. Okay. What if the Commanders did pull this off? And you're looking at three and one. I think all of the good vibes that we had going into the Bills game are right back on. I mean, that's going to get people awfully excited about what this team could be. So this is a real opportunity for the Commanders come Sunday. But it clearly is going to be a difficult challenge.
0: I believe Sam Fortier with the Post had the stat that uh, I think Rivera's teams, I think, four times have lost by that, level, uh, that ungodly amount. I don't know if it's 30 or 34 points, but you know, something like that. And then in the in the, each of those times they, they they are three and one in the subsequent game uh, after that. So something to consider there, as you mentioned, this seems to be what their mo is. Also, Jalen Hurts in his last twenty one starts, twenty and one, sure. one loss last year against Washington in Philadelphia. So we'll see if perhaps that magic can strike twice. Uh, Al, you rock. Obviously, your guys are all already listening to his uh, great podcast, the Al Goldie podcast. But if you don't, make sure you. Uh, do subscribe there, subscribe here for this one as well. Anything to to note, Al, what you got coming up this week? Well,
1: I'll have a conversation with a guy who I know you know well, Mark Bullock, a great Commanders analyst. He'll be uh, with me on Wednesday's show going through uh, what went wrong for the Commanders offense and what the team can be doing better. And yeah, lots of Commanders conversation on every show. And uh, we'll get everyone ready for this game against the Eagles on Sunday.
0: All right. Look forward to it. Look forward to chatting with you next week as well on your podcast and we'll see if we're talking about a two and two team or a team that just pulled off another big win against the eagles oh my guy, i appreciate the help and uh we'll talk uh, next week yep great to talk to you thank you